If you've been listening to these programs, you know that private antitrust litigation has continued to expand across Europe. The fifth in our series of podcasts on the topic shifts our focus today to the current circumstances in France. Partners Eric Barbier de la Serie and Ozan and Kirik are here to bring us up to date. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Eric Barbier de la Serie has 20 years of experience in European and French competition law. He has handled numerous antitrust and state aid cases involving the telecommunications, electronic components, media, financial services, and energy sectors. He has consistently been recognized for his work by Chambers, the Legal 500, and the international who's who of competition lawyers and economists. Practicing in the area of commercial litigation and international arbitration, Ozana Kurek assists clients on all issues relating to product liability, industrial risks, business torts, anti-corruption, and white-collar crime. He has authored numerous articles on litigation and regulatory matters, such as product liability and aviation laws. Those articles have appeared in numerous French economic and legal publications. Eric Ozan, thanks for being here today. Thanks, You're Dave. welcome, Dave. This is going to be a very interesting program. This is the fifth in our series of podcasts about private antitrust litigation and enforcement in Europe. We did a general overview. We did a podcast on the landscape in Germany. Italy and the Netherlands. Today we're going to focus on France and find out what's going on there. So as a segue to get us started, Eric, why don't you talk about the general landscape of private enforcement in France? How are things as we sit here today? Thanks, Dave. One can fairly say that private enforcement has really taken off in France Mm -hmm. because as a whole you can really see there's an increasing number of cases. Although, of course, and that's the case in the other jurisdictions, but many of them do remain confidential due to the existence of private settlements. Mm-hmm. But certainly in the past, there used to be a kind of reluctance among victims to sue offenders. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this was because they had long established commercial relationships. It might be difficult for a buyer to sue its supplier. Mm-hmm. But clearly this is changing mm-hmm. and there is less cultural reluctance among companies to sue commercial partners. I think this is also due to the fact that there is now increasing legal certainty on many legal issues which before were a bit unclear Mm -hmm. and therefore it's easier for victims to sue companies. Now what is also interesting is that the private enforcement cases you see are not necessarily the ones you would expect to see. Okay. Uh, Because the common wisdom is that normally most private enforcement cases are follow-on cases. That is cases that are, as you know, started after a competition authority has adopted a decision. And this is designated as such, as opposed to what is called standalone actions, which are cases which are started without a decision, as you know. But in France, at least, the reality is a bit more complex than this, because if you look at the cases that are public, in fact, you can see that there's quite a significant number of standalone actions. and. This is probably something that is quite specific to France, because if you have a look at the report that the the European Commission issued on the implementation of the private enforcement directive, you can see that in the EU, standalone actions account for basically 2% of the total of actions, and that's probably more important in France. The second reason which makes it a bit specific in France is that you would normally believe that most cases would be about cartel cases. But in France, once again, this is a bit more complex Mm. because you can see a number of actions which concern abuse of a dominance infringement. And this is quite remarkable because these are cases where it's not necessarily easy to prove that there's a damage because the damage cannot be presumed. 
And finally, there's a third element which is quite interesting and specific to France is that quite commonly you would believe that the actions would be mostly before civil courts. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what you can see is that there are a number of actions before administrative courts. So, and this is because administrative courts are competent in case of an action which is related to a contract with the public authority. So typically when there's a bid rigging case that involves a public authority, this ends up at the end before the public court. So I think what is interesting is that in France, private enforcement has clearly developed, but in fact also in the directions which were not necessarily anticipated. Okay. So clearly there's been an influx in cases. As we've talked about these matters in different jurisdictions, it's become apparent to us that access to evidence is so important when it comes to private enforcement. And there are differences between common law and civil law countries. Eric, how does access to evidence work under current French law? Well, clearly in France, the EU directive on private enforcement has been implemented rather cautiously. That is, it's not a revolution. The principle remains in France that each party must adduce the evidence that is supposed to prove its case. Mm-hmm. But clearly, also because this is an EU law obligation, now French law includes provisions that are specific to private enforcement and that give judges the right to order the production of evidence, which are in the hands of the other parties. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, important, but the reality is that this is not a revolution because French judges already had this power to order the production of evidence uh, Mm -hmm. even before the directive itself. The difference that you can see is that now this is more explicitly acknowledged in the field of private enforcement and therefore certainly judges will feel more pressure to order these measures in private enforcement cases. But on the other hand, there's a clear limit in the directive and in French law, which is that the measures that are ordered must remain proportionate Mm -hmm. and therefore judges will still have a lot of leeway to craft the measures that they think are necessary. So the big question is going to be the practical use that they will make of these new provisions. And on this, it's a bit bit early to know what they will do with that, but that's clearly something we'll need to monitor. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Well, let's go to Ozan and pick up on a point you started to allude to. Talk about cultural norms in France, Ozan, and how they relate to evidence and the new provisions that Eric mentioned under French law. Thanks, Dave. Well, yeah, historically under French law, there is no equivalent or comparable process to the discovery procedure found in the U.S. In our French code of civil procedure, we have a number of provisions relating to evidence production. Eric mentioned a couple of them, but for instance, Article 9 of our French codes provides that each party must prove the facts necessary for the success of its claim. Mm -hmm. Article 10 provides that a court may order any measures of inquiry deems necessary to enable it to decide on the case. And under Article 11, a party may ask the court to order other parties to the proceedings or even a third party Mm -hmm. to submit any kind of document necessary to prove the facts alleged unless, of course, those third parties have a legitimate impediment. So this is what we have in our code regarding pre-proceedings, i.e. before court proceedings are instituted, 
Again, there is no discovery procedure either here. Mm. Article 145 of our Code of Civil Procedure only allows the court to order preparatory inquiries to preserve evidence of the facts on which a claim is based, for instance, or to establish the existence of such evidence. So this limited framework would, to me, explain that the new provisions of the directive were met with some level of defiance, if I may say. Mm -hmm. We were a bit cautious in transposing these provisions in our commercial code because, to be honest, those provisions are not really new and should not be understood to call into question our existing and well-established court practice. So I would tend to think that the fears attached to the directive were perhaps unwarranted because the directive does set Uh, minimum requirements, Mm -hmm. which member states have to meet with respect to disclosure of evidence. Mm -hmm. But again, national courts will have to assess those disclosure requests against one, reasoned justification, two, the proportionality principle, and lastly, the legislation regarding trade secrets. So, to sum up, while there is a newly open possibility for parties to request production of categories of documents, it's very strictly regulated by courts, in particular French courts, and it does not in any way imply that there is a right to US-style discovery. Okay. I was going to swerve into that question. I was going to ask, will this mirror kind of what happens in the United States, but you're saying that's not likely the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ozan, let's stay with you for a second. Let's talk about class actions. And I know that's a relatively recent phenomenon in France. First of all, do you see many of these? And assuming you do or have some experience, how do they work? And what's the role they play in private antitrust enforcement in France? That's a very good question. Thank you for asking it. You're right. Individual actions can be very cost prohibitive, and especially as compared to the minimal damage suffered by plaintiffs in most cases. And therefore, class actions may appear to be appropriate way for private enforcement actions. You referred to the French class actions, and you're right. They have been introduced fairly recently, mm-hmm. at least compared to the U.S. Our law on class action entered into force in 2014 okay. and does include competition actions in its scope and is now codified in our consumer uh, in our consumer code. And there are a couple of requirements to meet if one is willing to bring a class action. First of all, The anti-competitive behavior has already been sanctioned by a decision of the French Competition Authority or the European Commission, i.e. follow-on actions as opposed to standalone actions. And the second requirement is that victims are consumers. So class actions can only be brought by consumers association, Mm -hmm. by certified nationally consumers association, which will uh, represent the, the victims. And then the whole process would follow three steps. During the first stage, the association must present to the judge a few individual cases on the basis of which the court will render its judgment as to the liability of the defendant. Mm -hmm. And then the court will define the group of victims, rule on the extent of damages, and sets the time period and modalities to obtain. The obtain period is the second stage of the court proceedings, 
and it's upon the representative consumer association to identify and seek out potential claimants as opposed to the opt-out system that you have in the US, for instance. And the third and final stage of these court proceedings does consist in the compensation of the victims by the defendants, and parties, of course, may revert to the court to adjudicate any dispute related to the compensation phase. To answer your question, I have to admit that the law introducing class action has not been very successful, mm. at least in regards to competition litigation. I have not been able to identify any private enforcement class actions so far, and this is partly due to the fact that these actions are restricted to consumers association, of which there are few and which are not necessarily keen on taking on private enforcement action. Another noteworthy factor is probably that uh, whereas class action are limited to damage suffered by consumers, mm -hmm. private enforcement actions are actually almost exclusively initiated by businesses. It's therefore quite puzzling to see that businesses are barred from bringing class actions. One last point is about the opt-in system, which under French law has proven to be ineffective, especially given the fact that class actions are limited to consumers. For example, in one of the cartel case, which was initiated in the early 2000s, so before even the concept of class action was introduced in France, an action was brought by a consumer association claiming between 1.2 billion and 1.6 billion euros of damages mm -hmm. suffered by 20 million consumers. And of those 20 million consumers, the association only managed to obtain 12,000 mandates, which is only about 0.06% of the victims. So again, broadly speaking, the French class action mechanism has not had much of an impact on private enforcement practice as of yet. Okay. So if we can back up a second, and I must say, I want to make sure our listeners understand, I'm not familiar with the concept of consumer association, or perhaps they call it something different here in the United States. But when you refer to a consumer association, what kind of group is that, Ozan? Well, it's basically a private organization which is in charge of defending the consumer's interests. Uh -huh. And those associations have to be certified at the national level in order to be entitled to bring class actions. Okay. Okay. Makes sense then. I'm familiar conceptually. I know what they are. Again, that term was new to me. Okay. Let's stay with you, Ozan, for a second and talk about how proceedings unfold in a private enforcement case like the ones we've been talking about today. Sure. Well, it's fairly simple. For private enforcement litigation, and unless the dispute involves a public party, actions must be brought before one of the 16 designated first instance civil or commercial courts. Mm -hmm. And as these actions frequently involve B2B disputes, most are brought before commercial courts and, and especially the Paris Commercial Court. And the Paris Court of Appeal has exclusive jurisdiction to hear appeals against private enforcement judgments for all first instance courts in France. And as far as standing is concerned, anti-competitive behavior may harm different actors, such as competitors, direct and indirect purchaser, including consumers. Mm -hmm. So in France, in order to have standing to sue, a plaintiff must have a personal existing 
and what we call a real interest affected by the defendant's conduct. But unlike other jurisdictions, like Germany, there is no special requirement that applies to competition cases. And regarding the applicable law, the damages directive, which has been transposed and codified in our commercial code, applies from December 2014 as to the procedural aspects and from March 2017 as to the substantive aspect. Let's go back to Eric for a second. Eric, everybody wonders how long, and the parties to a case think, okay, how long is this going to take to resolve itself? I have a feeling these things aren't resolved quickly. (laughs) Am I correct? How long does a case typically take, Eric? You are correct, Dave, and (laughs) I think there's no magic number, of course, but clearly private enforcement cases are normally quite long. And one of the main reasons for that first is that if this is a follow-on case, a follow-on action, that is an action after a decision of a competition authority, well, claimants may find it necessary to wait for the decision to be final itself because the decision may be appealed. And therefore, the appeal against the decision may may delay the action. There are limitations to that. And for instance, if a party appeals on the amount of the fine, normally this cannot delay the finding of the infringement being established definitely. But there's also a second limitation to that, which is that in France, Mm. if a catalyst appeals the decision finding the infringement, and it loses before the Paris Court of Appeal, which is the reviewing court. It can still appeal to our French Supreme Court, but at that stage, the infringement will be considered to be final and to be established. So that makes it a bit quicker, but clearly a claimant may have to wait some time before it can start the action. And then even once the action is started, well, these cases are not yet standard cases. Clearly, it's now much easier because there's an increasing number of legal issues which is clarified, and that has been thanks to the EU directive in particular. But there are still some legal complex questions. For instance, evidentiary rules on the passing on defense, which I think you know from our previous podcasts, remain quite complex. Yes. And also, and that's probably the main problem here, it's for claimants, it's the assessment of damage. Because even if you have proof that there's a fault, that there's a damage and that there's a causality link between the two, it might still be quite difficult to quantify the amount of the damage. And that's why you may need expert evidence and that may take a lot of time. Sure. I can only imagine how this could drag out a little bit. Let's go back to Ozan. In any kind of dispute like this, there's always a chance of a settlement and that can have an impact on how long it takes to resolve an issue. Ozan, talk about how a settlement might work if there's a private enforcement action brought? Sure. Well, the directive sought to fully encourage consensual dispute resolution. And in this respect, the U.S. is clearly leading the pack as settlements make up close to 90% of the private antitrust dispute resolution. So, of course, access to out-of-court settlement is only as effective as court's actions are. Victims of antitrust behaviors only have a bargaining power if antitrust offenders know that these victims could seek redress through an efficient litigation mechanism. So this may sound a bit paradoxical, but but strengthening judicial private enforcement mechanism will actually increase the number of disputes that might end by settlement, in particular the, the threat of 
plaintiffs having access to the European Commission or the competition authorities file may give defendants a push to try to settle out of court. So for the same reason, in terms of timing, settlements would tend to happen once a case has been brought before the court, and in particular after the court-appointed expert's assessment on the damage. That's what I can say on that question. See. Let's talk about jurisdictions. There, there's reported there's some evidence out there that some jurisdictions try to attract private enforcement cases. What do the French courts think about this? Do they have an appetite for these types of cases? I'd love to hear from both of you on this. Let's go to Eric first. Are French courts actively soliciting cases like this? Yes, that's clearly the case that they've shown much more appetite in the recent years. You can see, for instance, that there are French judges who participate in conferences to actively promote French courts and their ability to deal with what is in fact still a complex case. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's an increasing appetite from French courts to get these cases. And Ozan, you concur? Is that what you see happening with French courts? Yes, and I'd like to add that in terms, I mean, of attracting private enforcement cases, it seems that our national courts have opted for what I would call ultra-specialization rather than sheer quantity. As I mentioned before, 16 lower level courts are competent to hear private enforcement cases. Mm-hmm. On the appellate level, there are four chambers at the Paris Court of Appeal dealing with competition cases, but only one of them hears private enforcement cases, which is Chamber 5-4, which is composed of judges who are highly specialized on this specific topic. The good thing about that is that it does ensure uniformity in case law and also intend to increase forcibility for litigants. And the court was, of course, very much involved in the implementation of the directive and regularly publishes and organizes seminars to, to, to inform uh, potential litigants. So this is one thing. And the second thing I should I should perhaps add, which is interesting and which also has happened in other EU countries, is the creation in 2018 of the International Chamber within the Paris Court of Appeal, Mm -hmm. which also tends to contribute to the attractiveness of the French jurisdiction in the sense that it allows parties to argue and submit evidence in English, and also they can adopt a common law style procedure with oral testimony and cross-examination. So this feature combined with the assurance of being heard by judges with extensive expertise on competition matters may just make France as the ideal jurisdiction for private enforcement. Very interesting. I must say, I wasn't necessarily expecting to hear that based on other things I know about the subject matter. So that's interesting information and revealing to me. We talked a little bit or alluded to damages earlier in this conversation, but we didn't drill down or examine that too much. Ozan, talk about how damages are assessed or applied in these types of cases. Sure. Well, it's fairly simple. Our judges are legal professionals, so they're not by definition financial experts. So whenever they have to deal with figures, and in particular with complex figures and complex financial claims, they would appoint an expert, which we call a court-appointed expert, mm-hmm. bearing in mind that the parties are also allowed to request the court 
to designate a financial expert when it comes to assessing the damages the plaintiff has suffered. And basically, the court-appointed expert will ask the parties to meet up, will set up a number of expertise meetings where they will discuss the damages suffered by the plaintiff. Each party will, of course, be allowed to send documents to the expert, will be allowed to challenge the approach taken by the expert in assessing the damage. And at the end of the day, the expert will draft a report. He will first draft what we call a draft report, which will be shared with the parties. And then the parties will be entitled to make any comments on that. And upon reception of those comments, the expert will file his final report, a copy of which will be sent to the parties, but also to the court. And then the court proceedings will resume again the parties will have the possibility to challenge the expert report if they want to. And the court, which is, by the way, not bound by the expert report, will take the report as an additional element and in most cases will take it into account in the final judgment. So I can even say that in 90 or 95% of the cases, the court will follow the findings of the court-appointed expert. Very good, very good. I had one more note, one more matter we wanted to, to cover in this. My sense is these sorts of proceedings aren't cheap, <laughs> are, are not inexpensive propositions for the parties involved. Eric, could you talk a bit about what kinds of fees or costs might be involved with this sort of action? Yes, of course, and the fees would very much depend on, of course, the efforts that the parties would put into the evidence they have to show, and in particular, uh, experts, as you can imagine, are not cheap. The rule is that in France, you you may be reimbursed if you are the winning party for part of your own fees, in fact, but this is generally not something that covers the amount of your fees. So that means that in practice, this may still be quite an expensive type of action for claimants, and that's why some parties may think of litigation funding in particular to try and support their actions when they are claimants. I see. Very good. Uh, hey, this has been very informative. Eric Ozan, we will leave it right there. Great information today. Thank you so much. And as I mentioned earlier, this is part of an ongoing series about private antitrust enforcement and litigation across Europe. But as things develop in France or any other jurisdiction, if you've got updates, if there's something else our audience should know, we'll revisit this again later this year, if you're good for that. Absolutely. All righty. Hey, enjoy Thanks, talking Dave. with you both. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Bye-bye. You have a great Goodbye. Bye now. Be sure to listen to the previous podcasts in this series, which focused on Italy, the Netherlands, Germany, and also included a big-picture overview of private antitrust litigation and enforcement across Europe. The series will continue next month, and will finish in mid-2021 with a cross-jurisdiction roundtable, so please watch for that. For complete biographies and contact information for Eric and Ozan, visit jonesday.com. And while you're there, visit our Insights page for more podcasts, videos, publications, newsletters, and other helpful information. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you find quality podcast programming. Thanks as always for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program 
and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.